Life can be stressful, even under normal circumstances. 2020 has challenged even the most difficult times of life. You need stress relief that goes beyond quick fixes. That's Headspace. Headspace is one of the only meditation apps advancing the field of mindfulness and meditation through clinically validated research and can reduce stress, improve sleep, boost focus, and increase your overall sense of well-being. Go to headspace.com slash C-suite for a free one-month trial. Headspace.com slash C-suite. happening to the economy I mean, what is happening to the middle class what is really going on in the economy now the reason this is an important show we have a very special guest his name is dr. Muhammad El Aryan and I've been an, a follower of his for years every time he comes on you know programs such as CNBC or Fox Business I listen to what he has to say because uh, dr. El Aryan is not what we call in the mining industry moose pasture. In the in the mining industry, moose pasture means somebody who's pitching something that doesn't exist. So every time Dr. L. Arian speaks, I listen because he's not really pitching something. Like many of the CEOs and people that come on these financial programs, they're trying to pitch something to you. And Dr. L. Arian is an educator primarily. So he's also the chief economic advisor at Alliance. He's also chairman of President Obama's Global Development Council and former CEO and co-chief of PIMCO. So it's fantastic to have him on the program. Kim, what else? He's a, well, he's also well-schooled, well-scholared. He's the, uh, he has a master's degree and a doctorate at Oxford University, and his undergraduate is from the University of Cambridge. So, um, And one thing I just want to say in, in reading his, his new book called The Only Game in Town, Central Bank's Instability and Avoiding the Next Collapse, um, this gentleman knows what he's talking about, so pay attention. So for those who have been listening to me for years, you can, and Kim will vouch for it, you know, for how I many we've married 30 years this year, Kim. That's right. This is what I've been saying for years. This was coming. This whole thing is coming to an end. And that's why I found it interesting that Mohammed El Arian's book, The Only Game in Town, Central Bank's Instability and Avoiding the Next Collapse. So for those of you who have been listening to me, I think I've been blowing smoke, that we finally have somebody who is saying, yeah, <laughs> who says the same thing I say. Who's got some credentials behind credentials, him. <laughs> yeah. Because, um, you know, Dr. L. Arian, I've, I've not been very fond of the stock market. You know, to me, it's manipulated. So I, I, I stay out of it. I stay in options instead. But anyway, we'd like to have your opinions on what's happening in the economy and most importantly, we can start with this question. You talk about a T-junction. And a T-junction is a British term, but it means we're you know, the, at the end of the road at some level. So welcome to the program. And what would you, what would you like to say about the T-junction? Th- thank you both very much for having me on. I, I'm both honored and delighted. Um, the T-junction is this notion that the road that we're on is coming to an end, but what comes thereafter is not predestined. We can either turn one way or the other depending on some key decisions that are yet to be made. So what is the road we have been on? It's basically characterized by two big things. 
One is the ability to generate relatively stable economic growth. It hasn't been great, but at least it has been positive. And two is the ability of central banks to decouple the financial markets from a not particularly exciting economy and their ability to repress financial volatility. What, what does that mean to a person like me? <laughs> so to a person like you, think about it. The, the economic growth hasn't been great. The world has become a more uncertain place. The politics has been dominated by the emergence of anti-establishment movements. Countries are not coordinating what they're doing. Most people who have brought, been brought up in the stock market would say, wow, with all these moving pieces, the stock market must be very volatile. Well, it hasn't been. Why? Because central banks have been able to act as a shock absorber using two things that are very unusual, very low interest rate for a very long time, and in the case of Europe, negative interest rate. Think what that means. That means that you as a lender not only lend your money, but you have to pay the person who's borrowing your money for the privilege of lending your money, which is an upside-down world. And the other thing central banks have been doing is they've been using the printing press they have in the basement to buy assets, to intervene directly in markets. So what they've done is basically said, you know what, all this other things that's going on in the world, stock market, don't worry about it. I am going to insulate you from this. But unfortunately, their ability to do so is coming to an end. Now, this is the big point here because, you know, Bernie Sanders, I'm not Republican or Democrat, but Bernie Sanders' wealth and income inequality is the greatest moral crisis facing America and the world today. And you address this head on in your book is that that is the real danger, is that the gap between the rich and everybody else is getting so wide now the T-junction means we better make changes now or pay the price. Is that basically what you're saying? Correct. So income inequality is one of several factors that signals why it is that we cannot continue f for a long time on this road. And it's not just Bernie Sanders. Other presidential candidates, including Donald Trump, including Hillary Clinton, have brought this issue. Why? Because it's no longer just about inequality of income and wealth. It has become also about inequality of opportunity. And the minute you mention inequality of opportunity, you start touching on something that's very important to America, this notion that there are opportunities for people if they work hard enough. But what we have found in the last few years, that the very sharp increase in income and wealth inequality has also been associated with a decline in opportunity. The middle class is being hollowed out, and we are, we've come to a situation that regardless of what you think of whether inequality is good or bad, it has become an economic problem. And it's associated with this notion that if all the income that's generated go to the rich, and the rich spend less of the extra dollar they earn, they have a lower, what economists call marginal propensity to consume, you will have an overall problem of demand in the economy. So now people realize that what is a social and political issue has also become another economic headwind to generating high, inclusive economic growth. That means the poor and middle class are getting poor, very simple terms. 
Correct. And, right. and, and, the, and people have felt that the median income is not going up. Um, and meanwhile, the poor remain under pressure and the rich are getting richer. That is not a great equation in terms of the social fabric of a society and in terms of opportunities for further growth. So, and, and, and all of the cha- some, you mentioned a lot of the challenges, and this is what you're talking about with the inequality of, of income and unemployment and growth. And, and that all leads to what you're, you talk about also as a loss of trust of politicians in the system. How, how important is that lack of trust, loss of trust? That's really important. Um, we now have a very unusually high trust deficit. You see this, of course, in the politics, not only in the United States, but also in Europe. We see the emergence of anti-establishment movements. You also see people have lost trust with some of the major private institutions led by the banks. So this, this lack of trust means that a lot of people are disengaging. Um, they're disengaging from normal relationships. And, you know, it's very difficult to replace something with nothing. So you get a bit of a vacuum. And you see this in terms of – I'll give you a simple example. The most basic element of economic governance is passing an annual budget. Any household knows this, and certainly any country knows this. Our Congress has been so polarized that with the exception of one mid-year agreement, we haven't been able for six years now to pass a comprehensive annual budget. And that tells you something about the amount of dysfunction that we have right now on the political front. Okay, one second, that's Robert Kiyosaki at the Rich Dad Radio Show. We're talking to a very special guest, Dr. Mohammed El Arian. We're talking about his latest book, The Only Game in Town. Mohammed, I've been saying for years, savers or losers. I wouldn't diversify in the stock market. Your house is not an asset. So I've been saying this for years, so I appreciate you saying what you're saying. There's one, one interesting, you have one stat in your book. It says 1% of the nation's earners have received 95% of the income growth. So 1% have taken 95% of the income growth. How did that happen? It happened for both natural reason and very unnatural reason. The natural reason is that we live increasingly in a society where winner takes all. You see it clearly on the tech side. You see it clearly in terms of innovation. But you also see it in other industries. So you have a system now that increasingly becomes unequal. You also have challenges that, to this country from the globalization process. Um, we are challenged to have better labor retraining and retooling, which we have not done well. Then the bad reason is that the most basic instrument of economic redistribution, which is the annual budget, has been, as I cited earlier, basically frozen. So we have accentuated our problem. And people now increasingly realize that you cannot be a good house in a challenged neighborhood. So even those who are better off are starting to say, wait a minute, this system cannot be sustained. We cannot continue hollowing up the middle class. We cannot continue to have 95% of the income generated going to just the 1%. Add to that that we have been relying on central banks as basically the only game in town when it comes to policymaking. And the only way the central banks can generate economic growth is through asset prices through the stock market. Who owns these assets? It's the rich. 
So we've had the situation of worse income distribution, worse wealth distribution, and therefore we've had a reduction in opportunities. So what you're saying here is this, this is the important part, is when the central bank, the Fed, quantitative easing bails out, the big banks, the people that get richer are the 10% that own 80% of the stocks, whereas the rest of the American public doesn't get richer. Is that kind of what you're Correct. saying? Correct. Think of central banks as your basic doctor. So a central bank sees the economy not doing well. And like any doctor, they will not walk away from the patient. Even when they don't have the right medicine, they will not walk away from the patient. They will try to prescribe the best medicine available until the better doctors, the specialized doctors, are able to attend to the patient. So what happened? The central banks know that they don't have the right instrument. They know that what they have been prescribing for the economy, QE, very low interest rates, comes with what Chairman Bernanke, the former head of the Federal Reserve, called not just benefits, but also costs and risks, meaning that there is collateral damage, side effects, and unintended consequences. This is a very important part, because when we come back, I'm going to you talk about you know unintended consequences, collateral damage, and all that. Unfortunately, the collateral damage is called the middle class and the poor. So when we come back, since most of our listeners, you know, they, they didn't go to Wharton and they didn't go to Oxford or Cambridge, most of them are probably making less than 100000 a year. I want you to talk to them, because obviously in your book, you're a very caring man. We have a very special guest today, Dr. Muhammad El Aryan. His latest book is The Only Game in Town. It's about the Fed and the other central banking system. It's basically, he's talking about we're at a T-junction. He says we have less than three, three years or less. And I've asked Dr. El Aryan or Muhammad to speak directly to those in the middle class, because his book, The Only Game in Town, is very well written. It's easy to track, considering you know of his level of education and who he generally speaks to. But this book speaks to all of us, and it, sh- it shows up in his concern for all of us. And Mohammed Alarian is the chief economic advisor at Allianz and globe, uh, chairman of President Obama's Global Development Council and the former CEO and co-chief investment officer for, of PIMCO. So, so Mohammed, would you mind talking directly to the middle class? Because, not to brag, but you say a lot of the things I was saying about diversification, saving, you know, the, you're talking about you, you just keep doing the same old thing. You're probably going to get canned, I mean, creamed. So I would say think that you're, on, you're driving a car on a road that's going to end, and there are two other roads out of the intersection that's coming up. One is a bad road in which the economy goes into recession, the stock market loses a lot of money, and financial instability becomes very predominant. The other is a, is a good road in which growth picks up, there's less financial instability, but you don't know which way you're going to end up heading. Why? Because it's not in your hands, and it's in the hand of the politician. So what would you want heading towards this intersection? The first thing you, you would want is resilience. Build up as much resilience as you can, because if we end up in the wrong, on the wrong road, you want to stay on, in the game. You don't want to end up crashing. So the first element you need is resilience. What, is, what, does, that mean? Fact, what does that mean in layman's terms? It means don't go and put all your money in the stock market. 
realize that bonds no longer offer you the diversification potential that they once did, and keep about 30% of whatever your investment portfolio is, is in cash, at least 30%. It's unconventional, yes, but forget all these people telling you that cash is a wasted asset. Actually, cash gives you resilience at a time when there's so much uncertainty. Also, the second, also sorry, don't you talk ahead. about, you know, what, when I say diversification, I always call it diversification. Do, do you know, because a lot of times people are de- diversifying in the stock market. You understand what I'm saying? They're buying right. some of the same stocks over and over again. Yeah, I mean, there, there is this very sad element of a conventional wisdom, which is people have repeated the same thing for such a long time yes. that they don't realize that it's much less applicable today. And in fact, it could be counterproductive today. So I agree with you. You know, who's against diversification? I mean, of course, it's you say, you know, I want to be diversified. That sounds good. But you know what? How you get that diversification really matters. And the way we used to think about it is not as valid today as it once was. You said one more thing in your book about the bimodal. Or wait, wait, wait. I want to go back. I want yeah. to go back because you talked about what, you, oh. what the people need. They need, number one was resilience, and the second resilience. thing was? The second one is what, what, what was called optionality, which means that as you get closer to the intersection, we will get a lot more information. And you want to keep your options open. You don't want to pre-commit too much to any one course of action, which means, you know, if you if you are a sophisticated investor, which many of, of our listeners are not, but be careful. Don't get into illiquid investments. Don't get into situations where it's very difficult to change your mind. But the third element, which is which is as important as resilience, is agility. It's having the ability to go with the punches. Now, that speaks to a few things that we as humans tend to forget. Yes. One is, you know, if you're a parent today, the most important thing is the education of, of your kids, okay? And concentrating on that is worth a hell of a lot more to your family than investing in the stock market. And I'm always amazed by the amount of people who put that element aside. Our educational system, unfortunately, is not going to provide the sorts of skills that you need unless you, you are very privileged. So focusing on the basic elements of technical education is absolutely critical to the future of our kids. You want them to have the agility to adapt to a world that's changing very quickly. I can give you example after example of how quickly this world changes, and it makes you realize that having this agility is going to be really important for, for people to be able to navigate what's ahead. And, and you talk in your book to that point, and this is, I think, one, part of the problem for, for some people, is that you, these, these changes come and some people just, they, they have a blind spot. They don't even see it, and so they ignore it. Some see it, but they get paralyzed by it. And then those who do see it and act are the ones that succeed. Right. We, we know a lot about decision-making under what's called unusual uncertainty. Not just uncertainty, but unusual uncertainty. We know that one group will fall hostage to what's called a blind spot. We all have blind spots. And this is the inability to understand what's ahead. The second group will do what married couples often do when, when they're going through a difficult discussion, is they will hear one thing but internalize something else. The, the behavioral scientists call it reframing. Why? Because we don't like being out of our comfort zone. So we have natural tendencies to reframe things that take us out of our comfort zone. So if I tell you, 
look, you're facing unusual uncertainty, you'd be amazed how the system then translates it back into, don't worry, everything's going to be fine. The third group is the most dangerous. And you see this in business. It's called active inertia. You realize that things are going to be different. You realize that you need to do things differently, but you end up doing the same thing. The biggest example of that is IBM. IBM, on the eve of the personal computer revolution, had the best technology brand, had a very big research and development budget, and were very profitable. They identified the, the arrival of the PC. They realized that that was going to turn the industry upside down. They had many meetings on what they should do differently. But when, it, when push came to shove, when it came to actually implementing a different strategy, the inertia was so strong that they couldn't commit enough to it. And as a result, they came under enormous competitive pressure. And had they not reinvented themselves, they wouldn't be here today. So what the book tries to do is says, you know, let's be honest, it's very difficult for humans to make good decisions in the face of unusual uncertainty, understand why, and here's what you can try and do to improve your decision-making. Once again, it's Robert Kiyosaki, the Rich Dad Radio Show, a special guest, and a very special guest is a man I respect immensely. His latest book is The Only Game in Town, and he speaks directly to you and me, not the guys at the top, but he says, look, these guys at the top right now are in trouble. That means you and I, at the kind of the bottom of the totem pole, have got to do something differently. You quote Mike Tyson, says, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. And that's what I'm saying to most of my friends and all this. So just because I'm doing something and all this, don't follow what I'm doing because I'm just like you. I'm, you know, I'm like a boxer right now, dodging punches out there in the ring. I don't know which way it's going to come. So that's why we have Dr. Al Arian, Muhammad, and I really appreciate you talking to us. Let me ask you this question, okay? If you were poor right now, and poor is probably under 50K a year, what would you say to them? I would say to them that this is a really tough environment, and, and, and my heart goes out to you, because not only do you not have much emergency cash, but you're not generating enough income to build up enough of a cushion really quickly. So, so your initial condition, as it's called, are very difficult. So basic elements become really important. Don't take too much risk. Save as much as you can. Ask the question, how is the industry that I'm going to be in likely to be disrupted? Disruption is a big, big thing right now. Um, and industry after industry is being disrupted. So understand the the mechanics of, of what's ahead ahead for you. Well, that's that's what that's, just, that's what you know. Tyson talks about. You have a plan. Everything's fine to get a punch. Like my my dad, he was a PhD. He lost his job. He didn't know what right. to do. He didn't expect yeah, to look, get fired. We, we 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 growing up where a you know a family in which my mother wasn't working, we depended on 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 my father. There were three kids at. In, in school and university, and my father suddenly died of a heart attack. And we had to find a way to, you know, bounce back up. That's the punch um, in the luckily, mouth. Yeah, luckily my father had invested in our education, so it was a, a question of just continuing and finishing this because it was so important. But I sympathize a lot, you know, things, things go wrong, so you want to build up 
as much resilience as you can. And you, and you also want to understand what's around you. You know, we tend to want to blame things, right? Well, blaming is understandable, but it actually doesn't help you in trying to figure out what you should do about this. There is no reason why we should all be victims. I keep on telling people, sort of understand the changes around you, embrace that you, you need a different mindset, and, and, and keep on going forward. Amen. So once again, it's Robert Kiyosaki, the Rich Dad Radio Show. Our guest today is uh, Dr. Muhammad El Arian. His book is The Only Game in Town, Central Bank's Instability and Avoiding the Next Collapse. And the collapse he's talking about is within the next three years. So that's why we're talking to you. And I love your, I love what you're saying is you've got to be prepared for the un- unexpected. We don't know what might happen, right, Kim? Well, that's and that's I mean that is why the Rich Dad Company was created. It was about education and and Mohammed you even say in your book that one of the keys is this you have to be self-invested to keep up with what's happening and it's enhanced by education. You got to keep getting educated and that's exactly what the Rich Dad Company stands for. So, I appreciate that. And one more thing, uh, Mohammed is both Kim and I our fathers got fired mid-career. I strongly recommend or encourage you to listen to this program one more time, but also include your family, friends, and business associates to listen to it, because our very special guest today is Dr. Mohammed El Arian. In case you've been living under a rock and don't know who he is, it's because he's one of the few people on Bubble Vision, CNBC, and those guys that I actually listen to. He's not really promoting something. He's, he's an educator. So Dr. L. Aaron is talking about his latest book, The Only Game in Town, Central Banks, Instability, and key words here, Avoiding the Next Collapse. And he talks about the economy of the world is at a T-junction, and he states in his book, we have three years or less. And it's the fork in the road. It's called a bifurcation also. Any comments, and, Well, Dr. And, uh, Mohammed Alarian also, he works with the the banks. He works with Wall Street. He works with the White House. He works with the global economy. So um, this is not just somebody who wrote a book. <laughs> he was also the uh, the CEO of PIMCO, a major investment uh, firm. So uh, pay attention, pay attention. And the reason I love his book, The Only Game in Town, is because Muhammad is speaking to all of us. He's very, very concerned what's happening to the middle class and the poor. The rich, as you know, are doing extremely well. And part of that reason they're doing well is because every time the Fed is accommodative or called a Greenspan put and all this, when they bail out Wall Street, it actually makes the rich richer, but it makes the poor middle class poor. And so that's why, you know, when, in 1970, when I graduated from college, I got a 15% interest on my money. Today, they're now charging you money to hold your money. So why would you save money? Ask, let me ask this quick question. What does negative interest rates mean? What does that mean? So the notion of negative interest rates is that when whoever lends money, the creditor, instead of receiving interest, pays interest. I know it sounds absurd, so let me give you two facts. Fact number one, two very important central banks, the European Central Bank and the Bank of Japan, have taken their own interest rates negative. Fact number two, about 30% of government debt, that is bonds issued by governments around the world, about 30% now trades at negative interest rates. So something that doesn't feature anywhere in an economic textbook has become reality in Europe and in Japan. And is the likelihood that that's going to happen in America? 
I think the likelihood of it happening here is very small, very, very small. Why? Because we're starting to see the damage that's created by negative interest rates. That's so my question. Good, what is happening with that negative rate? So a few things are happening, and, and, and they'll come as no surprise. What's the hottest selling product in Japan today? Safes. A safe yeah. that you can keep yeah. at home. Why? Because yeah. people would rather keep their cash in their safe at home yeah. than pay their bank to have a deposit. Two, we rely on certain long-term financial promises, our pensions, our ability to insure our life. These are all long-term promises. Well, companies are less able to now make these long-term promises and deliver on them. And that means the average person is worse off. Three, I can go on, on and on and on. The minute you start starting charging negative interest rate, the political system gets interested in you. What, what do you mean you have negative interest rates? And you have now the Bank of Japan and the, and the European Central Bank under tremendous political scrutiny. Um, so there are lots of unintended consequences. Now, why are they doing it? It's not because they're stupid. It's because that's the only thing that they can do right now. But why, why negative? Why, what is the advantage of going negative? Does it inspire well, people like me to borrow more? Well, so, so when they go negative, you say, you know what, this is absurd. I'm going to go buy stocks because oh. at least stocks aren't negative. As, as oh, you buy stocks, you push the prices of the stock market up. As you push the prices of the stock market up, other people open their statements every month and, and think, wow, I am now rich. So what are they supposed to do? They're supposed to go spend more. It's called the wealth effect. You, you feel wealthier on paper, therefore you spend more. As you spend more, the theory goes, companies will invest more. So that's the theory. Force people to take risk in the stock market, push up asset prices artificially, and trigger the wealth effect, which means higher consumption, and trigger the animal spirits of companies so that they can invest more. That's the theory. Oh, the guess. practice has not delivered. What has happened? We've pushed the stock market really high up. We have decoupled it from the fundamentals. That's why stock market volatility is on the rise, because the stock market is no longer supported by the fundamentals. And this notion that the central banks feel that they have to keep on doing more and more things, including negative interest rates, to sustain what is ultimately unsustainable. And what is your crystal ball saying? So my crystal ball, unfortunately, has two sides to it. And I hate saying that. There's nothing more that I would like to do than tell you, you know what, this is what's going to happen. But the intellectually honest answer is that there are two alternatives with equal probability, and there is nothing predestined. Again, this notion of a T-junction. One is that we continue on the path we're on. Our, political, our politicians do not change course. Our politics remains dysfunctional, polarized, and low growth becomes recession, and artificial financial stability becomes instability. That's one possibility. But there's also exciting things going on in the global economy, especially in the U.S. Let, let me name two. One is we have this very unusual situation where companies have a ton of cash on their balance sheet. Even though they are earning nothing on their balance sheet's cash, they have a lot of it. And if 
they were encouraged to invest in the real economy, in new capabilities, in hiring people, in higher wages, which can happen, we would be better off. Second, there's a number of really exciting innovation that have been very name-specific and sector-specific that are about to go economy-wide. So if we get a small response from Congress, this would unleash the cash that's on the sideline and would unleash the impact of innovation and low growth becomes high inclusive growth. Artificial financial stability becomes genuine financial stability. And, and this is the T-junction that is ahead of us. And you and I don't control where we end up because that's really in the hands of the politicians and Congress in particular. But we have to understand that these are two alternatives. And as we discussed earlier, just make sure that we, we can navigate this. Once again, it's Robert Kiyosaki of the Rich Dad Radio Show. Our guest today is very special guest, Dr. Mohammed El-Aryan. He is the chairman of President Obama's Global Development Council, former CEO of PIMCO, and also economic advisor at Allianz. His latest book is The Only Game in Town, Central Banks, Instability, and Avoiding the Next Collapse. Mohammed, I just want to ask this, this better scenario. Um, what would have to happen for that better scenario to take place, and is it realistic that that can happen? So what needs to happen is what's called the Sputnik moment. Historians um, that are listening to us will remem- may remember that back in the late 50s, 57. there was a moment. Yeah. Yep. There was a moment in which the United States woke up to the reality that the Soviet Union, the USSR, what Ronald Reagan then called, later on called the evil empire, had succeeded in sending up a satellite into space. And suddenly we realized that our national security was seriously at risk. And the political system came together, and within 10 years, not only did we catch up in the space race, but we moved ahead. So what we need is an economic Sputnik moment, the realization that we need to generate high inclusive growth, that we have the ability to do so. The engineering is not difficult. It's an issue of political implementation. And if that happens, and I say you don't need a big bang in terms of policies out of Congress. You need a small bang because the private sector can do a lot of the heavy lifting. But the private sector is not going to deploy its cash productively until it has certainty about a few things out of Congress. Are you able to say what you think the technological change is coming? So the biggest technological change is the enabling of the individual, which means that nothing is secure. Let let me give you a simple example that I use in the book. The Hilton Corporation, they took 100 years, 100 years to deliver 700,000 rooms to their customers around the world. 100 years, 700,000 rooms. Airbnb with no expertise in hotels. They've never built a hotel. They've never managed a hotel. Airbnb, in six years, not 100, six years, delivered not 700,000 rooms, but a million rooms. Why? Because they understood a few things. They understood the power of technology. They understood that there's a lot of existing assets that are being underutilized, like Uber, same thing. And they understood that we as individuals, their clients, like to get the notion that we control more of our destiny. And through that simple realization of these three things, they are now disrupting a whole industry. Same thing with Uber for the taxi. Same thing with rent the runway for department stores. 
And we are seeing this enabling. Those who understand that if you enable individuals to live more of a self-directed life, you can disrupt existing business models like you could never before. And I think that that is both an, an amazing thing, but it's also a frightening thing if you're being disrupted. Right. If you're uh, Hilton, you're not too happy about Airbnb right now. But anyway, my final question, I really thank you for your candidness, and I'll put you on the spot. Um, right now we have three guys, you know, one woman and two men running for office. Do you lean in any one direction? Because I'm an economist, I spend a lot of time asking the question, who so far has presented the most coherent economic plan? So far, we haven't heard from Donald Trump on his comprehensive economic plan. He has been dealing with first 16 other contenders and only recently. So it's been a very noisy element on the Republican side. We haven't yet seen full... um, position papers. And the only candidate that has put those full position papers out there is Hillary Clinton. Um, there's been a lot of thought that has gone into them. They're very coherent. If you, if you read them, as I have done, because I'm very interested in the economics of the political system, they are well-researched documents on that. So I look forward to the other candidates putting forward what they see as the coherent plans. But right now, Hillary Clinton is the one candidate that has done that. And what do you think about Bernie's plan of just giving everybody everything? (laughs) For free. (laughs) So so I think that that his insight, and by the way, it's not just him. Ironically, he and Donald Trump share a lot of common platforms. I agree, one hundred percent. Problems. I agree. In identifying problems, and the the thing that I identify most is the marginalization of people. Is that society is leaving people behind? Now they have different solutions to that, but they identify the problem that we have hollowed out the middle class, that the poor are coming under enormous pressure, and that the rich have gotten too much of the income and the wealth gains. And and both sides realize this, and they just offer dif- different solutions. So I have one final question, Mohammed. Um, in at Rich Dad, we talk a lot about encourage people to become entrepreneurs, start their own business. And you talk about Airbnb and Uber. Um, given the scenario of the future of the economy, is entrepreneurship a viable way to take control, to succeed in this uh, environment? Not only is it viable, but it is the most viable that it's been at any time. I think what's really, really exciting, and I go back to that, is the empowerment of the individual. And people who understand that and become entrepreneurs and and try and understand basically what what is missing. You know, Uber, I, I take the example of Uber, a very, very simple realization that most people hardly use their cars, right? So if you can incentivize people to use their cars, to provide rides to others, you have an incredibly powerful proposition. Why? Because a lot of us are fed up of how we get treated by taxi cabs. So if you can provide me with the ability to use your car, and you can do this in a way that connects us efficiently, then you make me better off, you make more cars available, it's good for the environment. Yes, is it hard on taxi drivers? Absolutely. But even today, you'd be amazed how many taxi drivers have signed up to be part of Uber. Today's guest, 
Dr. Mohammed L. Arian in his latest book, The Only Game in Town, Central Bank's Instability, Keywords Instability, and Avoiding the Next Collapse. And L. Arian says it directly in the book, we have less than three years. So I've been saying this for years. I mean, Kim's got tired of me talking about no, it. No, I don't. But, you know, savers are losers. The stock market is going, you're going to take a hit right there. And your job security is gone. So you better start doing things differently. And for your family and your future, I would read this book. Any comments, Kim? Yeah, you know, he ta- Larian talked about the different psychological makeups of people. And when change happens, people want to go to what's comfortable. So some people don't even see the change. They won't even acknowledge it and they ignore it. Others see it but get paralyzed and do nothing. But the people that succeed are the ones that are, as, as Larian said, they're, they're agile, they're resilient, they see the change, they're educated, they figure out what to do and they take action. And that's what we've always said at Rich Dad. You've got to see that, get yourself educated, see what's happening, and take the appropriate action. So this book is invaluable, The Only Game in Town. I highly, highly recommend it. He wrote it very simply so that anybody can understand it, even me. So we're now coming to a very popular part of our program is Ask Robert. You can submit your questions to Ask Robert at richdadradio.com. Melissa, what's the first question? Our first question today comes from Liam in Sydney, Australia. Favorite book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. We can see governments around the world try to manipulate the market by policies like printing monies and bailout. Do you think they can keep on using this tactic to save our world economies? Well, Elarian says no. That's, that's the answer. It, they're at a T-junction. They're out of ammunition. What Kim was saying is most people will actually do nothing. They'll sit there hoping that twenty from 2020 to 2040 it'll be the same as the first 20 years. And Dr. L. Aaron uses the same word most guys use. The word is called growth. There is no growth. So when you read The Only Game in Town, it's really quite frightening. He talks about the unemployed youth all over the world. He says, without economic growth, the unemployed youth become unemployable. When they become unemployable and they have a cell phone with social networks, that sparks to revolution. And that's why he's saying that his hope is that the politicians and business and the central banks and Wall Street will get together. I say fat chance. That's my pessimistic view. So that's why I take action for myself. Comments, Kim? Um, no, I just wanted to read the quote from uh, Mohammed that he said, and he said, you know, we're at a, a T-junction, and the road that the economy curr- is currently traveling will effectively come to an end soon. Um, and he says, there is simply not enough information today to predict the outcome with sufficient confidence. So Mohammed said that 30% of your portfolio should be in cash. So I think in the short term, cash could be very, very important. And that's why I asked him to speak to the poor people out there. The Federal Reserve Bank just did a survey, and they found out 47% of all Americans don't have $400 in cash. 47%. If there is an emergency. Yep. 47%. They could not raise $400 in cash. They'd have to sell something like their kids or something. That's how bad off Americans are. And that's why if you're one of those people, you're considered poor. And he says these are high-income people. He says that, not here, the Fed says, these are high-income people. They just spend more than they earn. So they don't have any cash on hand. So it's not that you're poor because you're low-income. You're poor because you mismanage your money. Next question, Melissa. Our next question comes from Kelly in Seattle. Favorite book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. 
I have been listening to the warning signs of the recession. I just sold a condo and have about $50,000 in two different banks. What should I do with this money? Should I remove the cash just in case the banks collapse? Well, Kim and I don't like giving financial advice, but that's up to you. The thing here is this, please study. I talk to so many people, like Kim was just at a very, we have a very rich area we live in, and most of the people there have never heard of Muhammad El Arian. No. It's really silly. They know who the Kardashians are, but they don't know El Arian. So I think that's probably the biggest problem in America today is Kardashians and whoever those other guys are, they're more popular than somebody who sincerely cares about their future. Yeah, and I thought it was interesting. Mohammed talked about in Japan, the number one selling product are safes because they've got negative interest rates, and so everybody's pulling their money out. Rightfully so. I would probably do the same. I'd pull my money out if I'm not making any money on it, and they keep it in safes. And they want you, <laughs> as, as he said, which I forgot, is yeah. that they want you to put it in the stock market. Yep. And the stock market, as you said, is disconnected from fundamentals. In other words, you have a, you have a company that's worth a million dollars, but in the stock market, worth $20 million. Next question, Melissa. Our next question comes from Craig in Pennsylvania. Favorite book, Midas Touch. With the coming collapse, do you prognosticate a deflationary depression or a hyperinflationary depression? Depending on which plays out will determine what to invest in. Please explain. Well, again, I, I, I ask that you do your own studies. There's very good books on that subject. One is by Jim Rickards. It's called Gold and the, the, new, game in, the new Case for Gold by James Rickards. And he's going to talk about how when the central banks collapse, they're going to push the game up to the IMF and the World Bank and they come up with a one-world currency. Other people are saying what's going to happen is that there'll be helicopter money. And the way you produce helicopter money is you very simply say there'll be a tax holiday. So nobody has to pay tax for a whole year. So all this money comes flooding in. The way they're going to pay for the bills of the government is quantitative easing. They're just going to print money to pay for the bills. But suddenly, we have a tax holiday for everybody. The reason why that's a good idea is you don't have to go to the bank for the money. The trouble with quantitative easing, you've got to go to the bank to borrow the money, and they're not going to give you the money. So the next possibility is very simply a tax holiday, which will flood money into the system. Now, it won't solve the problem. That may go to hyperinflation, helicopter money, but it, ultimately, I think it will collapse. Any comments, Kim? Yeah, so Mohammed talked about the bimodal, and bimodal meant that there are different directions that the economy can go. It can go this way and it can go that way. And, and he said very, very forthrightly that it's not in our hands. So, you know, I can't call the president or the White House or Congress and say, do this. Um, what's in my hands is what I can do. So who knows what the – it could go hyperinflation. It could go deflation. You just have to, I think, pay attention and do what's best in your own interest. I think the most important word for everybody to listen to today, this came from um, Crash Course by Chris Martinson. He says the word you'll hear more and more is growth. You know, they call it green shoots and all this. Everybody's looking for growth as the economy collapses. So that's what you pay attention to. There is no growth. And that's why what El Arian talks about is that we're, we're going to have a generation of unemployed youth to a generation of unemployable adults. And they all have cell phones. And you think we have rioting in the streets today? That's what's going to happen. If we don't get our stuff together. And personally, I'm being a pessimist and an optimist. I don't think they're going to get it together. 
you know, his his says if the government gets together, I mean, all the governments, Japan, Germany, called it a Sputnik moment. Sputnik, if they all get together and we'll all hold hands and sing Kumbaya, that's his hope. I don't, I'm not that optimistic. That's why I've always said on the Rich Dad Radio Show, you really need four kinds of precious metals: gold, silver, guns, and bullets, because I can see it coming. Civil unrest is going to be the next big problem, both in America and throughout the world. So that's why that's a bimodal. You know, the rich will get richer, and the poor middle class will probably buy guns. Why? Because they want food to eat. Their kids are starving. You can see it all over the world today. People are running. Never in the history of the world has there ever been such mass migrations. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.